Rural Health Voice, Episode 4, Interdisciplinary Training. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What can make a difference for healthcare in rural communities where access to providers is limited? Listen in on a conversation Dr. Laurel Hunt Troll, Assistant Professor of Social Work at James Madison University, had with me on how students can be better trained to work with each other once they're professionals. You teach a class titled Rural Health, an Interprofessional Approach. What do you mean when you say interprofessional? So the definition that I use and that the Interprofessional Education Education Consortium uses is the World Health Organization definition from 2010. And that is uh, when students from two or more professions learn about, from, and with each other to enable effective collaboration and improve health outcomes. Why? Why do we, why do, we do interprofessional training? Well, we have reason to believe that when students and eventually professionals are trained interprofessionally, they are better at their jobs and that results in positive health outcomes for patients and ultimately positive health outcomes for communities. So better for the patients, better for everybody. Is it better for the healthcare professionals too? I think it is better for the healthcare professionals professionals, though it is not without complications and challenge because learning your own work is hard enough. You know, mastering the discipline of becoming a nurse or a dentist or a social worker is challenging. Becoming an expert in that content, in that practice, in those skills. And so to then also Um, while not retain expert status in other professions, but to have an understanding of the depth of what they do, it requires more. It does require a bit more training and a bit more commitment to, to learning about those other professions that may not initially seem as important as the content of your own field. So you talked a little bit about the benefits to the patient are there are there benefits specific to rural areas? The looking at the title of your class, where it starts with rural health. Why is interdisciplinary important to rural communities as opposed to anywhere else? Yes, it is particularly relevant for rural areas for a few reasons. Um, one is that the social determinants of health and current health disparities for rural residents. So you know, to be somewhat crude about it, we can predict your life expectancy based on your zip code. And that is something that really has grown in importance and in influence since for the past 20 or 30 years, we've really seen that trend, the um, predicting your life expectancy and your health outcomes by your zip code. And that negatively affects rural areas. So that's the first thing is that we need to make sure that we continually focus our attention on health outcomes in rural areas. In addition to that, a lot of times our rural areas are where our health professional shortage areas are. So if you need to see a cardiologist or a a 
periodontist or um, or maybe just a general practitioner and you're in a rural area, your options may be limited or at a extended distance for you to travel, which you know may or may not be something that you can do or do as regularly as you need to. So with those health professional shortage areas, those are, you know, affecting rural areas more prominently than more urban centers. And so we need to be especially mindful of that as well. And so once you do find yourself as a rural practitioner, um, something that all professional practice relies on is the ability to um, com commune with colleagues, to have a colleague where you can say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this case, or I'd like to get your um, thoughts on this treatment plan. And in a rural area, um, that might be really difficult. You might be the only one of you. Um, so well, where it might be lovely for me to sit around with four or five social workers and staff a case, I might be the only social worker in a 50-mile radius. And so it's even more important for rural providers to be trained interprofessionally so they understand what their allied professions are bringing to the table. They value those, um, those experiences and those perspectives and that they continue to have the tools and their skill set to reach out to those allied professions and work together for those health outcomes and reduce their own professional isolation. Sort of making sure asking the right person the right question. Yeah, or at least um, thinking, um, you, you know, oh, I'm the only social worker. I, I, you know, I can't ask anybody about opioid treatment. I should know everything. Um, well, no, you know what? Maybe you can ask that dentist. You know, maybe a dentist knows a thing or two about um, opioid use disorder, and you could put your heads together with that person. And you know what? You've talked to dental students before in your training, so you've got that experience, and you maybe know what to say, or you have the confidence to reach out. You've mentioned social workers. You've mental, mentioned dentists. What other types of students take your class? Um, well, I, my class is cross-listed with social work, um, interprofessional education. Um, that's a course designation at James Madison University. So any student from any major can take an IPE course. So really anyone. Um, health sciences and also nursing. So it's cross-listed among those disciplines. And then you can have a whole bunch of different folks that are taking, um, you know, that are pursuing different specific coursework. Um, so sometimes health science students are going on to be pre-dental or pre-optometry or pre-med. Um, our nursing students are obviously going on to become nurses, but some of them are minoring in things like chronic illness. Um, and then we're hoping this year that the course will become part of the chronic illness minor and also the gerontology minor here. So I get students from just about everywhere, though I would say they are certainly concentrated in the um, health and social sciences. So is it something that certain students, because of their major, are required to take, or is this an elective for them? It is an elective for everyone, though it can contribute to their um, major or minor electives, depending on their coursework. So what why do you think they decide to go ahead and sign up for the class? Why did they look at this and say, yeah, this is something that I need. This is something that's going to benefit me. 
Some students take this class because they have a genuine interest in working in a rural area. Um, maybe they grew up in a rural area and they intend to go back there, or they are interested in rural practice. So some people are just genuinely interested in being rural providers. Um, other people hear that there's a field trip in the class, and so that sounds fun. And so they take advantage of that piece of the course. They want to do something experiential. They want to get their hands dirty and be out there, and they want to um, you know, be able to practice in part of the course. And then kind of the other folks are taking it because um, I joke with them that it's kind of like a study abroad. So if I have folks who really grew up in an um, urban area, uh, haven't spent much time in rural areas, aren't that familiar with rural culture, uh, they take this course because they're interested in really experiencing that and seeing something, exposing themselves to something uh, very different. You mentioned a field trip. Let's talk about that field trip. What is that? <laughs> Uh, so as part of the course, all students are required to volunteer with a remote area medical clinic. Um, so Remote Area Medical, or RAM, is an organization I've been following for the past, I would say, 20 plus years, about 20 years, I'd say. Um, and they are headquartered in um, Knoxville, Tennessee, and they go to communities around um, a lot the United States, but also also the world, and they offer free clinics for folks to attend over the course of a weekend. So they're invited by a community host group. They bring kind of the supplies and the specialists, and the community host group brings other volunteers and other specialists, and they offer a free pop-up clinic. It usually includes medical, dental, and vision services, though sometimes there are other services as well. So folks can have their teeth uh, cleaned or fillings completed or extractions completed. Um, they can leave with their brand new glasses in their hand after receiving a full eye exam. And they can see all sorts of medical specialists from screening procedures, such as um, HIV testing or influenza vaccines, all the way to seeing cardiologists and pulmonologists and gynecologists. So, yeah, they offer these clinics all around, and they always utilize volunteers, and I've been very interested in the organization, and most of the clinics are in remote areas or rural areas, and so as part of this clinic, our students volunteer um, to be general support volunteers, which gets them into all sorts of interesting um, volunteer opportunities uh, with remote area medical. Now, the RAM clinics have received a lot of, of media attention over the years, um, you know, some, some good, some bad, um, lots of different impressions of those. What do your students think of the RAM clinics? What, what are sort of their, their impressions before they show up? What are they thinking they're getting themselves into? Um, they are required to watch the uh, official remote area medical documentary before they go. So they have a somewhat good understanding of what they're about to experience. Um, they're a little apprehensive, a little worried that they won't know what to do. They won't know what to say, that people won't want to talk to them, those kind of things. Um, and when they go to the clinics, their reactions are usually... Uh, they are astounded, I would say, at how kind and patient and sweet all of the people are. They ex people have, are not at their best. They're hurting. They're tired. They've been sleeping in their cars. Some have driven a long way. Um, you know, they are cold. They're hungry. Those, they, you know, they're not at their best. And yet um, the students have such 
wonderful interactions with them and people are willing to talk to them and are interested in them and so kind. And so they're always struck by how kind people are. Not that they necessarily predict people will be unkind, um, but they are just always so struck that kind of in your lowest moment uh, that they have such kind words for, for just them as students. Um, the other thing they always say is they can't believe they're in the United States. Some folks are um, a little bit better prepared for it because they have a better understanding of rural areas having come from there or grown up there. Um, but other students are very, very surprised and can't believe they're in the United States where folks are, you know, sleeping in their cars. It reminds them of, uh, you know, sub-Saharan Africa with mothers carrying their babies all night long to, to get them a vaccination or something. And it, it can look very similar to that. And so they're kind of appalled by that, that health disparity in access to care. Any particular stories a student had from experience that you want to share? Oh, gosh, I could share all day. Um, one of my favorites is that uh, we had a student who, so a lot of times they do patient registration. That's a great way for them to um, practice their skills and talking to patients and kind of initiating and, and setting the groundwork for that healing relationship this person's about to engage in. And so um, I had a student who was um, do, walked a patient through their registration process and sent them on to medical triage. And then um, registration no longer needed this patient and said that dental really needed some volunteers. So this patient found themselves volunteering in, in dental, kind of doing some crowd control to sort of move people through the line and get the next person to the right place and so forth. And so they then saw this patient again in the um, dental area. I ended up ta talking with this patient quite a lot. Um, patient was um, younger patient, I would say, in their 20s or so, and received the unfortunate news that they had a, a major um, infection in their mouth and um, had to have all of their teeth extracted. And so I asked the student if they would please just sit with them for this experience. And so the patient and the student sat there and the student held that patient's hand for the two hours while they um, extracted all of that patient, the patient's teeth. And um, um, that was a, a very moving experience that someone would um, kind of want them there with them in that moment of vulnerability and could could see how supportive that they could be during that time. And that this patient who, you know, thought they might be queasy or, or didn't know if they could really do this, um, you know, didn't hesitate to say, of course, I'll sit there with you and go through this experience with this person. And I, I would say a, a situation somewhat similar to that happens every time. Um, every time our students kind of have these opportunities to make these lovely relationships and, and provide support for folks and um, really learn about their own capabilities and about um, their own sort of approach to the human experience and how, you know, we're kind of all the same. We just want to be healthy and we want to be safe. And um, yeah, so that, that generally happens for most students, most clinics. What a great experience for that. Mm -hmm. So what suggestions do you have for people who are concerned about access to healthcare in their hometowns? What, what actions do you think people could take? Yeah, I, gosh, I wish I had the answer to this. Um, I think one thing is that the training programs need to continue their focus on interprofessional education and the benefits of rural practice. So 
um, I have students all the time who are like, well, I don't ever really want to work in a rural area. And when I ask them why, they don't even really have an answer or their answers are really rooted in some old stereotypes, which are not relevant. So I find myself sometimes um, with students sort of selling rural. Um, my very first job out of college was in a rural area, and that was on purpose because I really wanted to do a lot of things. <laughs> and when you're in a rural area, a lot of times you get to do a lot because there isn't a whole lot of people jumping at every opportunity. I knew I wasn't going to be kind of sent to my corner to do my job and punch the clock and go home. I thought, that, hey, there's a new task force forming. I want to join it. Well, there's nobody else here to join it, so go ahead, <laughs> um, was a lot of my experience. And I got to meet so many people, and I got to kind of be exposed to and, and observe and learn about so many different topics and I really appreciated that and felt like that rural experience was far richer than an experience I might have had in an urban area where, you know, a new social worker kind of would have been not too difficult to come by. Um, so I really try to sell all the benefits of living in rural, in rural areas like, um, hey, it's more cost effective. You want to have your own apartment? You might actually be able to afford it in a rural area. Um so I, I think part of it is kind of dispelling some of those old stereotypes and helping people see the truth and the beauty and the heart of rural areas. Um, whereas I think urban has done a really good job of changing the way we see the cities. You know, we don't see the cities as tenements and squalor and crime so much anymore. We see them as hip and artistic and interesting. And I think we need to change that narrative about rural areas so young people and new professionals can see themselves there. Um, so I think that's part of it. And also, you know, to really show them all the things that can be done in a rural area. You know, you don't need to join some big practice. You you can be um, the you know one or two one of two providers there in your area, and there's something really wonderful and exciting about doing that. Um, and so, talking to them about the barriers that they see preventing them from doing that, and you know, talk to them about those opportunities. I also think that they need to know about some of the financial opportunities. There are some um, scholarships or loan payback programs for work in rural areas, particularly in healthcare. So, you know, that might be an economic decision too. Hey, I'll go work in a rural area for a few years and, you know, get some of my student loans paid back, that kind of thing. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can approach it as far as um, recruiting and, and, and bringing new people in. I also think that we need to look at technology. So there's some good things happening with telehealth, telemedicine, telepsychiatry, those types of things. I think that's an opportunity that we need to take advantage of. Um, we need to make sure the infrastructure is there as far as um, high-speed internet access for all folks. Um, so that's an exciting thing um, at the same time. A lot of when I go to rural conferences, rural providers, you know, seasoned and young are talking about how much they love their patient contact. They like being sort of the storefront dentist office or um, the home health agency and how much they like talking to their patients. So I hope that we can continue to keep that piece of our practice that we love so much while also embracing um, technological advances. A lot to offer in rural communities. People just need to see yes. what's in front of them. Absolutely. And of course, if you're into hiking, kayaking, anything like that, rural communities are where it's at. 
Exactly. Absolutely. So if you could wave a magic wand, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Mm-hmm. I think improving health and health care is very much linked to improving some of the other difficulties that challenge people in poverty. Um, so I really think that we need to raise the floor. Um, we need to find a way to have affordable housing um, in in rural areas as well as urban Um we need to find a way to have decent jobs where folks can make a living wage and can, you know, pay their bills and, um, you know, have those sources of toxic stress like lack of funds and lack of housing reduced for them. Um, they need to make sure that they can send their kids to safe schools where their children are receiving an education and um, a quality education from early childhood on. And so all of those things are very much linked to their health care and their access to health care. Um, you know, a, a lot of times I talk to students about how we can talk about all of people's individual choices, whether they choose to smoke or whether they're exercising 30 minutes a day, those kind of things. We can look at their individual choices, but, you know, you're not going to go for a walk if you don't have roads uh, to walk down. Now, you know, maybe you're kind of an industrious, adventurous person and we're going to go charging out there into the woods, but a lot of us need sort of that infrastructure that supports our health as well. Um we want people to see the dentist every six months. Well, we got to get a dentist nearby and we got to get away from them to get there. So they're going to need to be able to maybe get on public transportation or, um, you know, looking at other transportation options so that we can make sure folks are not isolated um, out in their, out in their residences. Um, so I, I feel like we can't really talk about healthcare in isolation. I do feel like it's very much linked to the social determinants of health and certainly education, poverty, um, and affordable housing. Wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And that's Dr. Laura Hunt Troll reminding us that just like different types of health professionals are connected, all aspects of our life are connected to make a combined impact on our health. Laura talked about the benefit of the remote area medical clinics. I regret to report that after the recording of this episode, Stan Brock, founder of the Ram Clinics, passed away at age of 82. You can learn more about his legacy at ramusa.org. If you want to be part of a larger discussion on interdisciplinary training for rural health care providers, join Laura at the 2018 Virginia Rural Collaborators Conference. Visit vraj.org and click the Events tab for details. 